Julie from Cork. So is yours, Julie. Okay, thank you. Um, thanks, Tom. I'm Julie. I'm an addict, and great to be here among friends, among kin, among people who I'm not afraid will judge me, and who I'm quite confident um, are a lot like me. And I'm sure it's not just the awfulness of addiction and alcoholism are our, our only bonds, you know. I think we have a lot more to us than that. I have a lot more to me than that. Um, so yeah, I I was I was preparing a little bit, at least inside on the inside of my head, about what I might say, and I took a few notes, so I might be looking left and right at that. And I know that listening is more important, so I don't want to, you know, talk through most of the meeting or anything like that. Um, yeah, so I and I, I think I, I I think I've decided that I don't want to talk too much about you know from the beginning and childhood and all that stuff because I don't know in a way it's like the last number of years have been more eventful or more dark or more something something full of change than than any of the decades before that um so yeah um really good to be here and i, I guess i'll just start with some facts i did grow up in the county of cork here in the south of ireland um i was the youngest child the only girl two older brothers um just very briefly, I, my memory, my my memory of my early childhood up to about the age of eleven was quite happy. Um, had a big house and lots of gardens, and we grew our own veg and things like that. And I was good at school, um, but you know the but. Um, I, I think um, I was a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's a big understatement. Um, I liked to be on my own a lot. I liked to, even as a young child, like to play with my dolls or teddies by myself. Um, that was also because, you know, um, my brothers were a bit older than me and there weren't any other kids around. You know, we kind of lived in the countryside and I was, you know, but yeah, that kind of loner aspect, um, which again, I think we, we, a lot of people I've heard in in recovery kind of seem to share that character trait um, or aspect of our identity or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, and oh, drink and drugs and all other substances and crazy behaviors of addiction just came along in my early teens and, and I just went off the rails um, somewhat slowly, but definitely, definitely. And um, it was that it was a fairly sharp difference between the outside and the inside as well. On the outside, I was still attending school, not doing as good as I should have been or could have been if I was, you know, a bit more normal and healthy and not in active addiction. But um, no one saw a problem, really. Um, I would say, and it was absolutely convenient for me to believe that depression was the problem. Depression really started um, showing its 
ugly head probably when I was about 12 and certainly followed me all the way up into my teens and early 20s. So that really took hold of me as well. I, I now looking back with, you know, the kind of hindsight of 2020 vision and recovery and all the rest, um, I, I was depressed, I did have depression, but it, again, it was convenient for me to believe that was the problem and never, ever, ever uh, dare to look at my um, substance use, you know? Um, so it went along like that. And um, um, yeah, some different kind of counselor therapists here and there as a teenager um, didn't ever reveal the truth of you know how I was using substances so so on I went and um I did go to college oh god when I was about 18 after I finished high school it was you know had had you know had lost had lost a lot of myself by then the, my decision the choice the course I chose was poor anyway all of that all of that um dropped out of that dropped out of that because also the depression um, my disease um, was at its worst at that time when I was 18, 19. That was my last time um, attempting suicide. I was about a week or so in hospital. That was definitely the darkest, darkest period of my life. I was not happy that I was, that I woke up. But anyway, I did. It was my dad who found me. Um, when I woke up in the hospital bed, I saw his face at the end of the bed next to me and I'll never forget it so his face at the end of the bed at that time while I was still um you know barely out of it um was was enough to teach me the lesson that well I'm not happy I'm still alive but I'm not going to do that again so I didn't <laughs> and um I escaped the hospital alive and went back exactly to to the lifestyle I was leading. Um, and anyway, that was that. Coasted along, and oh look, just just you know, because I didn't get clean for another few years later, there was just there was just the downward spiral, basically. You know, um, lived abroad for you know just less than a year at that time when I was twenty twenty one. Came back back to college again. Um, at that time, yeah, I was starting to feel, oh, I, my mother died um, tragically, unexpectedly when I was 21. I was just back from living abroad. Awful, awful, awful. Um, I, in myself, am still not clear of her reason of death. And, you know, I don't question myself too much about that. I wouldn't particularly want anyone else to question me about it either. It's not to say that it's a closed subject, but it's deep, still deeply painful. Having said that, she, my mother died when I was 21. That was the year 2000. Um, I, I think I've come full circle in terms of the loss and grief. The loss and grief is still there. Um, and of course, of course, how could it not be? Um, I was, and while I was, you know, thought I was all grown up, even at the age of 13, um, I was so entirely immature. So losing my mother that young um, was, was just a deep, deep trauma. Um, 
anyway, return to education and my pattern then even, yeah, even kind of still, or even up to recently is return to education, return to education, learn more books and learn more and get this and get that. And that has not been a waste of time in the um, stretch of the imagination, but it's not like it led me to, you know, this job or this career or, or any anything like any semblance of climbing any ladder of any social construct of normal people in a normal conventional society. No, I've never been like that. I don't think I ever would be, and I don't want to be. Um, and you know, that thing again of being an addict and being different. Um, sometimes there's that strange thing of liking being different um, and certainly liking living a sort of somewhat of an alternative lifestyle, you know? Um, I mean, I'm kind of proud of, of who I am in ways too, you know? I'm proud of where I've come from. Um, anyway, all the further, you know, harm and destruction and hurt of active addiction had to happen until I finally, finally went to my first meeting just to please my boyfriend at the time. And then that relationship broke up and I was more brokenhearted. And then I kind of took this attitude, well, if he can get clean and sober, um, I'll show him. It was a bit of that. But anyway, I did want to, um, I could see at that point I was in a big mess and I had started going to meetings and some message had trickled through. Then I became the good girl again, because I was a good girl um, a lot of my childhood and, and school days as well. It was that double life, you know, the good girl on the outside and then the, you know, all the rest um, where that, that people didn't see, but was consuming me, eating me up. Um, so in recovery then I became very good girl again, was very hungry to be the good girl, uh, do all the right things. So found a sponsor, found a home group, did lots of service, did lots of step work. Um, I suppose a bit of that all or nothing kind of behavior, but that served me well at the time in the first few years of recovery. I was staying, I stayed living here at home in Cork. I was in my early twenties, I was single, I worked part time, I was still living at home. You know, so I had the availability, I suppose, to do a lot of service and go to a lot of meetings and, you know, rack it all up that way. Um, was very, very lucky amidst those years of a lot of service. I went to do prison service just a couple of times in a women's prison here in the south of Ireland. It was a very chilling experience in terms of the institution and the loud clanging doors and that kind of stuff. But the women there, the women that I met there, just a handful of them, because it's, just, well, Ireland is small and our prison here in the south of Ireland is small. And anyway, only a few of them came in. And, um, but I, I, you know, I saw them as women. I saw them as mothers. I heard them talk about um, missing their children. That was my experience of meeting those female, those women in prison and uh, touched me very much, um, you know. So then again, the pattern, go back to college, go back to college. And I moved to Dublin and this was 2007. Um, 
I, I'm not sure who on this meeting knows about Trinity College. It's a university in Dublin City. It's quite prestigious. It's by far the best one in Ireland. Um, and I was amazed. I got an offer of a place there. And I did. And that changed my life as well. I was, uh, I was again, that, to, that kind of divided self. I was sad to leave home, leave Cork, leave my dad. Um, leave all my home groups and recovery groups in Cork. But look, it's just a couple of hours uh, journey away, you know. Um, and I did come home regularly. So that was a life-changing experience. That was another block of time in my recovery that was life-changing. I learned a lot, I saw a lot. I studied midwifery, I was training in a hospital, um, got to do some external placements and I'm passionate about women's health. I'm passionate about, you know, the practice of the social model of midwifery as distinct to the medical model of midwifery, which I would not want to take part in. So, so um, yeah, the women I met, the families I met really changed my heart so much, so completely and really opened up um, my understanding to to life and well it's a bit kind of um, kind of small to say oh what women go through um, but just just experiencing all that was amazing and the college side of it too and the learning and um, you know the fellowship the fellowship I, I was absolutely took part in and I didn't neglect my recovery at that point stayed with it I, I loved all my groups up there and all my recovery friends up there um, it was really great um, it came to, it all came crashing down sort of um, we'll go into that story now but yeah so um, in 2011-2012, my dad was very unwell. He had a stroke. Um, I was a student kind of at the end of my internship in Dublin. It was a crisis period for me. Um, so anyway, between my dad being very unwell and the midwifery sort of being a, one of my most passionate passions and yet you know the hospital system breaking my heart entirely um it was it was tough you know so I chose in the end to come home and mind my dad and be with my dad and be with myself <laughs> and come back to home and come back to basics basics I it was a rock bottom in recovery for me no exaggeration I felt decimated it was awful um but um, I, I let go of a lot, you know, it was a big sacrifice, but I have no regrets about it either. Um, it's still a bit of a kind of, I still feel that kind of block in my throat, even today when someone says, oh, Julie, what about your midwifery? Will you go back to it? Because everyone knows I'm very passionate about it. And the answer is still no. Um, you know, so anyway, um, my dad made a very good recovery. I'd like to take some credit for that, for being his daughter and being around him. So, yeah, those two years then, 2012 to 2014, were very much kind of putting myself together again after that rock bottom, helping dad, working part time, um, 
living quite simply back into a home group here in Cork, got a sponsor who was such a lovely person, such a lovely person. Tom knows her, her name is Tracy. She's like this angel person. Um, and, you know, it, Tuesdays, Tuesdays were like my lucky day. And um, looking back now again with that 2020 hindsight, um, I would say it was a very wholesome period of my life, those two years um, coming from kind of the brokenness to being um, feeling very wholesome again. The Tuesday was my lucky day. I would work an early shift. I would finish at three. I would, I was renting, um, uh, sort of sharing a house again, Tom would know my friend Bimbar. Um, here in Cork City, such this lovely house, this lovely house that's called the House of Peace because it's the House of Peace. And I was lucky to live there for that period, on and off between being with my dad and there. Anyway, I, I'd, I'd finish work on a Tuesday at three o'clock. I'd go back to the house. I'd have a shower. I'd change. I'd cycle off to my sponsor's house with my uh, basic, with my with my big book, my AA big book, with me, and I'd work with my sponsor in the traditional way. Um, I had a higher power at that time. Um, it was a genuine faith in a higher power. I, I, I can honestly say that I, I have never kind of suffered any kind of anyone in AA or anywhere telling me you must believe in God or you must believe in this God. There, there was a very strong um, teaching about finding a higher power, and I had no problem with that for a long time. So there were really good years. Oh, and then on the Tuesday evening, again, after leaving Tracy, my sponsor, I'd come home, I'd have my dinner, I might have a little lie down, and then I'd go off dancing for two and a half hours. And I did that every week for about two years. And it was, it really strengthened me, you know, simple things, simple things. Um, then I moved again, you know, again, that pattern that we addicts have as, you know, kind of the geographics. Um, so I took myself off to the other planet, the planet that I call China, and I moved there um, for two reasons. The reasons weren't equal in size, but the reasons were love and the reasons were to, to, to find, to try out a new work kind of role and a new thing, a new thing. So I had met um, who became my boyfriend, who later became my husband, who was Chinese, on just on, on chance in Scotland and um, moved out there. Oh, in the meantime, the, it was kind of like my decision to move there was my plan B. I, I should add that in. <laughs> he, moving there was not my first choice. It was my plan B because, again, pattern, pattern of returning to college, because the Irish system of midwifery was not compatible to my values, I was hoping to go to the UK and do some additional training there, and I didn't get offered a place. And again, heartbroken, heartbroken. It's not only boys and women have broken my heart. It's been courses and midwifery and colleges and things like that. So um, it was not having that chance to pursue that again um, led me to take my plan B, go to China. And that's what I did. I was there for nearly five years. 
I worked as a teacher in a college in a small city. Um, it's hard to convey, it's hard to summarize. Again, an enormously life-changing experience, the culture there was so entirely different. I think even in terms of general Asian cultures, um, Eastern culture, Eastern philosophy, whatever, whatever, um, I mean, China has to be very distinct and unique. Um, like I said, I had those very two wholesome years of recovery at home in Cork and uh, my sponsor and all that and my dancing and I gave up everything, gave up everything to go there into a radically different culture. And it's not like I wasn't gaining something, I was. I really enjoyed my new work there, teaching uh, undergraduate students English. They were lovely. They really um, kept me up. <laughs> and um, they were very endearing young Chinese boys, men and women, um, you know, like, and I remember meeting the other foreign English teacher before I started the job and I was like, what am I facing into here? You know, are there going to be people like, you know, turning up hungover and all this kind of thing? He said, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> and it didn't happen. Um, young Chinese students are exceptionally obedient, exceptionally well-behaved in the conventional sense, exceptionally attentive. They love their teachers. They love their foreign English teachers even more. They loved me. I loved them. And that was really, really positive. I became very close to some of them. Um, but again, like I, I was a bit of an alien over there too. I was, there was only a handful of foreigners in the city I was in. Um, so being kind of white and foreign, um, just, and then also having a Chinese partner made me really mysterious to them. Anyway, that was kind of nice-ish in a way for a while. Um, I got engaged and oh, that was another thing. I mean, I never wanted to get married. I didn't. <laughs> Maybe as a kid, I, I had ideas of, you know, um, being a bride in a white dress and things like that. Silly things, girly childhood fantasy things. But no, as an adult, no, had ruled it out. Um, very much wanted to be a mother, very much wanted a lifelong partner. But anyway, because Jia Wei um, was Chinese and his culture uh, does not condone children without being married. Um, and my deep urgency at that point to have a child, well, that decided that, right? Um, and he, he was the only partner, as much as I wanted to be a mother very strongly from my own mid-twenties upwards, and I had a couple of different partners along that period, none of them were ready to be a kind of a parent along the same time scale that I wanted to be. So that's how all those relationships ended. And when I found Jian Wei, well, he, he was ready. So that was that was a big swaying factor shall we say um and he had lots and lots and lots of good qualities and he was very much stepping outside his own proud traditional chinese box communist patriotic communist patriotic box to be with me um 
but um, and I suppose I can say I admire that somewhat. Anyway, um, he chose me and I suppose I chose him and we did get married and there was no big white dress or anything remotely like that. There wasn't even a red dress which Chinese women wear. Um, so, um, and I became pregnant again, it was all very carefully planned as everything has to be in China. And um, my baby was born the end of May, 2017, um, after a very healthy, normal pregnancy, which, you know, as you can maybe put two and two together, having trained to be a midwife, I, I was absolutely passionate about um, healthy, normal pregnancy, natural birth, all of that. It was my goal to have a home birth until I married a Chinese man and choices like that are absolutely not possible there. They're hard enough in, in a country like Ireland. Um, anyway, in the end, in the end, I was really supported by two female Chinese doctors who did not touch me, who did not interfere with me and I had a wonderful natural birth. And again, a totally life-changing time, you know? Of course, having becoming a parent is life-changing for anyone. But me, 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 I'm special. <laughs> um, and there I was, you know, my mother long gone. I was over in China, far, far away. Um, my dad was in his late 70s at this point, had dementia at this point, all of that. Um, had very little, yeah, very fractured family, kind of my own family input. Um, so really heavily reliant on Jianwei, my husband. Anyway, um, and um, then I sort of again, it was it was more than ever that difference between outside and inside in the life of Julie. On the outside, um, I suppose I look to be, you know, well, back in shape and back in the outdoors and um, minding my baby and, you know, married and uh, cooking dinner for my Chinese husband when he got home. Uh, but actually I was dying, dying with postnatal depression. It was really had me on the edge, really had me on the edge. The thoughts that went with that I'd never experienced anything like that. It was desperate. I couldn't say anything to anyone. Who would I say it to? And I didn't even trust Jan Wei enough to say anything about that. So that was a desperate uh, trauma and torment to carry by myself. I was afraid. I was afraid what the Chinese system would do with me, you know, would they kind of, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's not a very person-centered society. Um, so anyway, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I coped. I did come back when Rowan Holly was six months old and did return to psychotherapy here in Ireland. But that, again, my, my family of origin was in crisis. My dad was very, very sick at that point. So it was like, um, minding my small baby breastfeeding, in and out to getting what meetings I could here in Cork, um, and in and out to visit my dad in the hospital, who was very touch and go. So like, you know, me dealing with my postnatal depression, unfortunately, wasn't first on the list. Um, but anyway, all of that, and I know it's half six now, so how am I going to tie everything up?
and I haven't looked at my points here. Um, so, so, um, yeah, I mean, so much life is just so unpredictable. Like, I know it's easy to say a sentence like that, but for fuck's sake, it's so true. And it, it's true in all directions. You know, I do, I've become a terrible cynic. I mean, I've had some big, serious losses in my life. My mother, my father, um, um, my marriage, um, and, and so many others that don't carry the same kind of instant weight in 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 terms of oh you know dead parents and and divorce but um that have just been uh desperately heavy and sad you know um and you know all the kind of losses you know the loss of the midwifery situation um Chinese culture, giving up all I had and all of myself, too much compromise, way too, I compromise way myself, myself way too much as a person um, and I haven't yet gained that back, you know, I'm back in my own country four years now and still, I mean, more, more, more losses, more brokenness, picking up the pieces in terms of survival on a daily life and life's terms way. Um, so that's the reality of life now. Um, you know, I, I want to say in terms of, you know, life today, um, you know, I joke with some of my friends like, um, well, you know, like we all know that 2020 was, was the year of the COVID pandemic started. My dad died just literally a few days before the lockdown in Ireland. So I went from the in and out of hospital with him to um, his death and um, lockdown and nothing. And um, then my marriage started breaking down. Well, the, 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 the undeniability of it started surfacing at least. And um, so, in 2021, you know, I, having found this group then, having found this group, um, or what, I don't know when this group even started. I know we're coming up to a three-year anniversary. So yeah, did it start in 21? Anyway, um, finding Tasnua has been another only positive um, life-changing experience, you know, really, um, I won't say it threw up all what I had in terms of values or beliefs to start with, but it has certainly reshaped and reformed some of my beliefs and values for the better. Absolutely has has brought this international kinship around me. It's, it's amazing. I can't put words in it. Some friends that I found through Tasnua are remarkable beyond all, any friendships I've had in the past. Um, so that really speaks loudly of um, the openness, the understanding, the closeness and support that I get here. Um, really as well, learning about self-care in a whole new way, in a whole new way that's um, about me, you know? And that's another thing, like some of you will know, I go to CODA again, the Tosnua, 
Dakota meetings, and that's, well, it has opened up the Pandora's box. I can't pretend otherwise. Um, um, but again, it's, it's recovery, it's moving forward, it's trying to pick up the pieces, it's trying to um, learn who I am. It's trying to put me first, even though I'm now a single mother to a six-year-old girl and I want to give her everything. But again, one of my old, old patterns is to give, 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 give to those I love, especially. And um, I go down the list and uh, that doesn't work out well, not for me and then not for others. Because being an addict, well, a human and an addict, resentment then takes over and that scenario sooner or later and the burnout you know so self-care is really 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 important for you know numerous numerous reasons um how do i do that i'm really um attentive to a healthy diet that's that's probably an understatement some people will call me neurotic um but i'm very careful um and healthy about my diet it's just a very deep value of mine um, I'm fairly active in exercise. I used to do dancing regularly, like I said. I'm not doing that at the moment. I did yoga quite religiously for years and years. I haven't done that in a long time. But I, you know, I know I will again. So it's not that I'm not doing that now. And poor me, poor me. It's I, I'm not doing that now. It's okay. I will get back to it. Um, my sleep is very important. Again, very simple things, very simple things. Um, I have to keep those, uh, you know, diet, exercise, sleep. I, I have to be very vigilant about those because my life in my waking hours is still very full, very busy and very stressful a lot of the time. Um, I go to as many meetings as I can, which in a typical week is still just four. Um, Saturday is my lucky day because I go to the morning one and this one. Um, I try to, I love the outdoors. Summertime is my time to be more me. Um, I need the sunlight a lot. Um, art, music, reading are all things that help me. Well, they're just, they're just necessary components of trying to recover from life, from all the from all the things. And again, it's that um, they help me remember certain things and it's healing, it's that power of healing. Um, used to be an avid reader, again, not no time in the day recently or for the last couple of years to read much. Um, I miss that at times, um, have had a lot of, just as well as, you know, the joy of reading a good book, um like the personal kind of i don't know it put it has put the pieces of me back together in a certain context um and um you know i i i go to psych i have a psychotherapist i have another therapist um she's not a therapist she's a helper in a woman's well it's not only for women but it's a domestic violence center um my ex-husband, the, the gentleman, patriotic communist, never punched me or never did anything physically harmful to me, but he did do something desperately, illegally violating about, I think it was in the middle of last year, actually. 
and I went to the police and I told my therapist and they told me to go to the domestic violence center. So I continued to go there and it's very helpful. And they challenged me as well. It's not just, oh, Julie, come here, let us mind you, <laughs> which I would love. A big, still a big part of me wants that because I want to be mothered because I lost my mom and that never goes away in my heart and even in my behavior. Um, but I'm the grown up now, and I do get constant reminders of that. I'm not just a grown up, but a mother. Um, therefore, you know, more and more and more real life reasons to be the grown up, to be responsible. Um, so I was saying to my therapist about, I don't know, two weeks ago, um, I said, okay, Brian, it's like this. Um, it's like there are two pillars, like two columns, and one. One is sadness and one is grief and the same one is, is loss. And, and then the warmer side, the nice side, uh, connection and love. So that's all one pillar. And while the sadness and the grief is not easy to feel or to bear or to carry, I was telling my therapist, I, I can embrace that. Um, I don't resist feeling tearful or sad. I, I do genuinely lean into that. And then I was saying on the other side, there's the, there's the pillar column of anxiety, fear, resentment, hate, violence, revenge. I want, I, I don't know, can, will I say today I want revenge for specifically how my now ex-husband has treated me. I mean, Jesus Christ, how, you know, um, but on some days when I'm in that column, I want revenge and, um, I want to go about taking revenge. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm not going to act on it. Not today. I don't know about tomorrow or next week. Um, but I do know that if I, seek revenge or anything else that's not particularly healthy or you know um coming from a loving place i i bear the consequences of of all my actions and and more heavily than those things so that's what i was saying those two big columns and i can really see more and more and more how the anxiety resentment revenge kind of thoughts burn me up eat me up you know make my muscles all tense cause physical tension and and so many other problems you know and I also I Julie me as a single individual person have to be responsible for that that's a big order I can't do it all at once I can't even do I can't do it all by myself um but I need to be the kind of leader for want of a better word in that with then the supports that I get and and of course by saying clean and sober. I mean, I find I don't often say that and it's not, I certainly don't want to be complacent. Um, I know that everything that's even possible um, has to be anchored in staying clean and sober. So, um, yeah, I, I have hope to um, stay surviving. Don't know when the thriving period will come back. Um, but my acceptance has improved just recently. Um, and yeah, like my therapist Brian as well, I was telling him a little story about 
regarding my little girl's birthday recently and two of her little friends at her party are twins and I go all mushy about twins and my dad was a twin and these two little twins were sort of you know hugging me and climbing up and wanting to kind of cling on to me like little koala bears and it really healed something deep inside of me you know it healed some of the grief I have for my dad who was a twin some of the grief from myself that I never had twins um and these two gorgeous little twins were holding on to me like koala bears and that connection was was really healing and Brian was the therapist was saying Julie that's that's all love and he, you know what he also says to me <laughs> um when I go on about my ex-husband and Ron Holly he says well Julie no you're the love of your life you have to be the love of your life and that sentence the terms love of your life I mean up to when he said it started saying it to me a few months ago that phrase could only mean you know someone you're in love with like a romantic partner right but no he's trying to uh make me come around to that being me and i, I it makes sense of course i mean i'm clever enough to see that so, but yeah to put that into practice is um baby steps baby steps so um i should leave it there thanks for your patience listening to me for all these over 40 minutes <laughs>